May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I grew up in College Station, Texas, and there's an interesting spirit in that place. It mostly has to do with um, Texas A&M University, which I didn't attend. I'm not going to make an Aggie joke here. You can just all make one in your head. And, um, but I did go to A&M Consolidated High School, and they were, were the Tigers. And every Friday during football season, in between classes, they would play the Guns N' Roses song, The Eye of the Tiger, dun, 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 to get us into the spirit, to get us into the spirit of supporting our team and going out there and having the pep rallies and, and the school spirit of those kinds of things. And all, most, most high schools have some sort of school spirit. They, they try, to, try to get going. Um, I was, when, I, when I first moved here to Lake Travis ISD, and found out the mascot was the Cavalier. My own historical background thought it had to do with um, the, the royalist side in the English Civil War, which is where the word Cavalier comes from. Um, I don't know if there's a lot of Stuart um, pretenders at Lake Travis High School, but um, there's a lot of school spirit there. They, they try to have the school spirit and, and get, get the kids motivated to support the team. School spirit, though, is different from the Holy Spirit. <laughs> school spirit is mostly about uh, you know, possessing a general a positivity towards your school, um, helping out when you can. There's other ways of uses of the word spirit. Like, for instance, during um, Halloween season, there's spirit Halloween <laughs> that pops up all over the country, and you're like, wait, what? wasn't this a mattress store a few weeks ago? And then suddenly it's a Halloween store. And um, they have all these costumes for kids to dress up. It used to be like, you know, ghosts and ghouls and goblins. Now it's what, whatever show they're, they're really into. At the time, spirits sometimes refer to, to ghosts or dead souls. Last night as New Year's Eve, a date known for its spirits. It's whether or not they're alcoholic spirits that can keep you away from yourself in a sort or just like a spirited evening. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, but what does this spirit have to do with any of the others? My friends, we are continuing our series on the Apostles' Creed, the historic doctrinal statement of faith, looking at how the creed encapsulates Scripture and offers it to us in a way that we may understand what God has offered for us, how God created everything, how God loves us, why we need God, how Jesus saves us, and what we should do about it. And today, we're looking at the words, I believe in the Holy Spirit. New Year's Day is a, is a fitting day to talk about the Holy Spirit. John Wesley in the 18th century loved to have a special service on New Year's Day, whether it was on a Sunday or not. Every New Year's Day, he had a covenant service, an opportunity for him and the people around him to covenant for the year with God, to make a solemn vow of how they would follow God this year. And his covenant prayer starts with these words, I am no longer my own, but yours. These are not the words of the new you or me time or self-care or a lot of other New Year's resolutions. I am no longer my own, but thine, but yours. Something different is going on with the covenant prayer. Something different is also going on in Psalm 143, as, as Mike read a moment ago. The scripture could be a fitting New Year's resolution for any Christian. Teach me to do what pleases you, God, because you are my God. Guide me by your good spirit into good land. Make me live again, Lord, for your name's sake. Bring me out of distress because of your righteousness. I'm going to come back to Psalm 143, but we need to start with this word, spirit. 
This word spirit, because if we don't understand what the creed means by spirit or what we pray when we say the Holy Spirit, we're not going to understand how God acts through the spirit in our lives. The King James Bible often translates the, the Greek phrase eros pneuma, which sometimes Holy Spirit is Holy Ghost. And so some of you growing up may have prayed to the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Um, or like in the song American Pie, it talks about the Holy Ghost. Um, but ghost, you know, ghost to nowadays in English is mostly refers to kind of like the dead souls thing. Um, it's like, like the movie ghost. You don't think about uh, ghosts apart from like dead people haunting or doing other things like that. It's this idea um, spirit or ghost in English really literally means like something that is immaterial, something that doesn't have mass and doesn't obey the laws of physics. And oftentimes in these stories that have been more prominent in the last century, it is a soul, which is an immaterial substance, that isn't in heaven or in hell and is kind of lost and wandering of sorts. And there used to not be really images of them, but with television and, and movies, they became to like either white, like Casper the Friendly Ghost, or like mildly translucent. And so you can kind of see an image of a person, but they don't really look. They're kind of bluish in of sorts, and they go through walls. This is the kind of way that ghost and spirit like is a part of our language that is separate from the language of, of Christianity. Spirits at Halloween or ghosts are described in such a way because they do not follow those basic laws of, of physics or material things. They are invisible or slightly visible and yet present and present with us. God is present in unseen ways, in invisible ways. The God who works in unseen ways is fully God. This is the power of, of the Trinity, of God being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the uniqueness of the Christian faith. God is not just this big sky daddy looking down on us, giving us presents or not presents, judging us, controlling us, um, answering our wishes or desires or not. That is not the Christian faith. God is for us here. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Word made flesh, is fully God and fully human. We are still celebrating the birth of Jesus and the amazing reality that God has come down to us. Some early Christians were, were binitarian, which is a word you don't hear very often, binitarian. Um, they believed in the Father was God and the Son was God, but the Spirit wasn't. Um, they didn't understand what to do with the Holy Spirit. They thought the Spirit, maybe when it speaks in Scripture, is just like a mode of God or like an avatar of God that God uses from time to time, but isn't fully God. And yet, the Spirit is not simply that. The Christi Christian faith has, goes deeper than that. The Spirit is fully God. And that is amazing. God created everything from nothing. God created humans in the image of God and the likeness of the Son of God. Jesus Christ. All of humanity is a reflection of the life of Christ who became flesh and material, skin and bones for us at Christmas. And God's presence with us didn't weaken or lessen after the ascension of Jesus Christ. It didn't become less with Jesus went to sit at the right-hand side of the Father and the Holy Spirit descended at Pentecost. This God was still fully present with us, fully present with the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the comforter. This John in the Gospel of John loves this language, the comforter, the advocate, the one who is with us. 
the instructor. The instructor. My favorite analogy of the Trinity is God the Father as the lover, God the Son as the beloved, and God the Holy Spirit as the love between the Father and the Son. And we are included through the Spirit in that love, in that divine love that is God. And we can only understand this through faith. This is why it's in the creed. This is why it's a statement of faith. I believe in the Holy Spirit. God is with us fully. God is not with us metaphorically or in any way secondary to who God is. God is with us fully. But God isn't just present to affirm whatever we want anyway. The Spirit moves in us and trans- to transform us and change us in ways that may seem uncomfortable. The Spirit is sometimes mischievous and wild. I think one of the more challenging aspects of being a Christian is saving space for the movement of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Sometimes it seems maybe easier if we could just schedule out everything in relation to God, everything in relation to worship, everything in relation to our prayer life and our own growth in faith. If we could just write it down and mark it down, it's like, okay, I'm going to have a spiritual experience in two weeks, and that'll be great. And then a week later, I'm going to have a little challenge, but I'll I'll recover because God will be with me. And then the next week, we'll do this. It'd be simple if we could just schedule that out, but that's not how the Spirit works. The Spirit doesn't follow our calendar. Some denominations talk a lot about being spirit-filled, Pentecostal churches especially, spirit-filled, focus on on the spirit, on spiritual gifts, like like speaking in tongues, on on lifting up the the virtue of extemporaneousness, of having, you know, the preachers having no notes, not preparing, and the, the kind of connection that what if, you know, if someone doesn't have notes, maybe it's the spirit working immediately through them. And yet all of these denominations or non-denominations, they are, they are traditioned in a way. Even if they are quote-unquote not traditional, they are traditional. Tradition just means something handed down and passed down. There's nothing that is Christian that is not traditional. Or else it wouldn't be Christian. Tradition means what is worthy of being passed down. If you believe Jesus Christ is the only Son of God who died for your sins and rose again to give you life, you are following a tradition of the good news that has been passed down since Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to that tomb on that Easter Sunday morning and found it empty. And the angel said, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus. The angel said, he is not here. He is risen. And they went and shared that news with Peter and John. And they shared the news with the other disciples. And they shared the news and shared the news generation after generation after generation until it gets to you. The good news of Jesus Christ is a tradition that has been passed down generation by generation. This is one of the powers and impacts of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit has allowed this news to be shared again and again in many traditions around the world. But not everything that has been passed down in each generation is inherently good. That is, something is not valid because it is old. It's valid because it is valid. Something isn't good just because it was good 100 years ago. It is good because it is good. But how do we tell the difference? How do we know if something is good or just old, if a tradition is from God or from man? We have the Bible. We have the Scriptures, which is not a a dead book, but the living Word of God offering life to us continuously, that we should seek out God there. 
We have the creeds, the, the encapsulation of, of doctrine that has been shared, of this is what we should believe and understand about who God is. We have our own capacity to, to reason that God offered us. God, didn't, God created us in the image of God, not in the image of rocks who can't think, but of, but of the image of God, of Jesus Christ, with the capacity to interact with the world. In God, we can interact with our, our experience of the Holy Spirit, experience of the Holy Spirit, our experience of the mountaintop. First Sundays, often with those who, who went to an Emmaus walk, will wear their, their rainbow-colored lanyards, many of whom experience a powerful moment of the Holy Spirit on their walk, a powerful moment, a transformational moment. Many of you have also experienced a powerful moment of conversion, of transformation that guides us our experiences of the Holy Spirit. But the imp- and the important word here is our. Our, not God doesn't leave us alone. Christians can't figure out anything alone. Jesus sent the disciples out two by two, not one by one. And the amazing thing is God didn't leave us alone. God left the Spirit with us who is God and also the Spirit which draws us together in the body to be the church. And we are not finished, neither as individuals or as a church. Even some of you, some of you may have been a part of churches years ago, maybe in simpler times when, when faith was less complicated and there were, there were fewer challenges, but the Holy Spirit was still moving then, transforming people then, changing lives then. And we see the direction of the transformation of the Holy Spirit with the fruit of the Spirit, as I sang for the kids. The fruits of the Spirit from Galatians 5 are not static things. Patience is not a static thing. Kindness is not a static thing. They are dynamic. To have them is to be constantly changed by them. As Paul writes, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. When we are blessed to have them, it is to be changed by them, not to be affirmed by them. We know the Spirit is present when these things take place. Likewise, we know when the Spirit is not present, when the fruits of selfishness take place. This happens right before the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Paul writes, the actions that are produced by selfish motives are obvious, since they include sexual immorality, moral corruption, doing whatever feels good, idolatry, drug use and casting spells, hate, fighting, obsession, losing your temper, competitive opposition, conflict, selfishness, group rivalry, jealousy, drunkenness, partying, and other things like that. <laughs> other things like that. The list, the list of bad fruit is longer than the list of good fruit. <laughs> and, and Paul adds this addendum that's kind of like the 10th the Amendment to the Bill of Rights, which is like, and there's other duties for the Constitution. It's like, there's other things going on. There's other ways There's other fruit of selfishness that you could have. A good tree bears good fruit. We hold to the presence of the Holy Spirit through the fruit, but in order to see the fruit in our own lives, we need other people. I can't tell if I am loving by myself, if I am alone. I can't tell if I'm being faithful or patient. Or if I have self-control, if there's nobody around me, I need other people. 
As well, there's a challenge and a temptation to turn the Holy Spirit into an alter ego of sorts that rationalizes or justifies what I wanted to do anyway. That is, the challenge is to not use the invocation of the Spirit to justify what I want. It takes faith to discern the difference between our will and God's will. I may be causing conflict, but I tell myself I'm being obedient. I may be competitive or causing rivalries, but I'm telling myself that I'm seeking faithfulness, but only God knows my heart. Only God knows my heart. And I must seek God with others who are also seeking God so that God can speak through them to share if I am being faithful or if I am acting out of selfishness. If I am bearing a fruit of the Spirit or a fruit of selfishness. And it takes faith because God's will may look radically different from anything else you see in the world. God's will for you may not look traditional as the world sees it. One of the earliest traditions of the Christian church was martyrdom, witnessing to Christ to the point of death. The first martyr is Stephen in the book of Acts. Stephen is introduced in Acts 6 as one of the first deacons, and so they have this issue um, in the early church that the disciples are, are preaching and, and teaching, but there needs to be a lot of care going on in the community. There are, there are widows and orphans and others who need to be cared for, and so they set aside a group called deacons or servants. And Stephen is one of the first seven servants, one of the first seven deacons. And he is arrested for blasphemy. And in Acts chapter 7, he gives this amazing speech after he has been tied up, almost about to be stoned. He gives this great sermon um, about the presence of Christ and faith throughout the life of Abraham and Moses throughout the Old Testament. It's a beautiful witness of God in the face of his executioners. And then he's stoned. He's stoned to death for his faith. And instead of anger, he, he asked God's forgiveness for his executioners. This is one of the earliest traditions of the Christian faith. Do you have a faith like Stephen's? Or more importantly, for our day, would you ever want a faith like Stephen's? Would you ever desire a life that ends like that? According to a lot of views of the good life in the world, it seems like a total waste. He had so much potential. What if he just told a little white lie and then all the good he could have done after it? It is a total waste if God doesn't exist. It is a total waste if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. But if Jesus is Lord... If Christ did come down at Christmas in the body of a child who lived a holy, perfect life for us and offered his life for us, died and rose again, then Stephen is not only an example of a possible end, but a goal to which we should all strive. And the Holy Spirit is a part of that. The same Spirit which taught Stephen about Jesus and comforted him during his trial, that spirit is with us today. And I want to come back to Psalm 143 again in light of Stephen's death so that we may have a new respect for what may please God. 
Teach me to do what pleases you. Not what pleases me, what pleases you. Because you are my God. Guide me by your good spirit into a good land. Which land? It may not be Spicewood. It may be paradise. Make me live again. What kind of life? Lord, for your name's sake, bring me out of distress because of your righteousness. To say I believe in the Holy Spirit is to have faith that God can transform our hearts and desires through God's real and true presence with us. Converting our desire from one that fears sickness, that fears poverty, that fears death, into a heart that seeks God to the point of sickness, to the point of poverty, of giving everything up for God, to the point of death. The Holy Spirit is not a benign advocate, but a revolutionary who causes the world to tilt on a different axis. The world spins on the axis of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And to believe in the Holy Spirit is to be open to a revolutionary change within yourself that may lead to the loss of everything you used to love because all those things are seen as next to nothing compared to the light of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit will illuminate our lives to point out what is not love in us, that is, what in us needs to be burned away by the refiner's fire of the Holy Spirit. May you be willing to receive this fire that created the world, the fire that created the church at Pentecost, the fire that still spreads this day. May you be willing to pray the words of the covenant prayer together. And we're going to put those up. And I, um, there is no pressure on this. You don't need to say it. You can just mouth it to yourselves. This is, a, this is a prayer between you and God to covenant yourself this year, to covenant yourself fully to who God will have you be. Go to the next slide. Let us pray. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed by you or laid aside for you. Exalted for you, brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. In the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen.